Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. We have spent lots of time uh, over the years and certainly over the past few weeks talking about legal and policy issues related to content moderation and laws like Section 230 of the CDA. Uh, but one area that doesn't get nearly as much attention uh, is the actual people making these decisions, a group that is now under the general umbrella of trust and safety. Uh, I think that all too often, many people seem to think that content moderation decisions are actually uh, done by the CEOs of the various social media companies and the number of times that we see people complaining directly to or about Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey due to a bad takedown decision uh, seems to erase the whole trust and safety role and, and the concept and uh, that there are people working on these things and all of the efforts that they put into thinking through all of the difficult to impossible trade-offs that come up in making content moderation decisions. Uh, erasing the role of trust and safety teams also tends to hide or diminish important questions about how to build a trust and safety team and how such a team should function, and also how to protect the workers doing that kind of work. Indeed, the very concept of a trust and safety team and, and trust and safety staff is a relatively new thing, and it's only recently that companies have begun to realize that it's even a career space. Uh, and that's why I was so excited not too long ago to learn about a new organization, or rather two new organizations that recently launched the Trust and Safety Professional Association, along with the related education nonprofit, the Trust and Safety Foundation. Uh, the TSPA is designed to be a professional organization for trust and safety employees, while the foundation is designed to educate about the trust and safety space. Uh, and I should mention uh, that TechDirt's think tank arm, the Copia Institute, is now working with the Trust and Safety Foundation to create a library of content moderation case studies, and we're very excited to be working on that. So today on the podcast, I am also excited to have two of the founding board members of both organizations, uh, and these two members are also sort of the forces behind putting these organizations together. Uh, and so we have Adeline Tsai and Clara Sao. So... Uh, thanks to both of you for coming on the podcast. Thanks and, for having us. Sure. Yeah, thank and, you so much for having us. Great. Uh, Adeline, do you want to start off by describing uh, the TSPA? Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe good context would be for me to just back up a little bit and talk a little bit about my background and how I came to um, support the Trust and Safety Professional Association. Uh, for the last um, 10 years or so, I've been working on content policy issues. I started out at Google uh, working on ads policies there. Um, I ended up um, doing uh, ads policy work at Twitter and most recently was at Pinterest where I headed up the policy function. 
Um, excuse me. And so for the last 10 years or so, I've been both, um, you know, a content reviewer, policy developer, um, as well as a manager of teams of people who do that work. And so throughout my career, I've been really interested in looking for um, ways that people who work in the trust and safety space could really advance their practice and become better practitioners. Uh, you know, sort of seen firsthand some of the challenges that these folks have um, gone through, and this is my community. So um, when this opportunity came up um, about a, a year um, and change ago to build the Trust and Safety Professional Association, I was really interested um, and the sort of three pillars that, um, you know, Clara and I, and together with our other co-founders, Eric Goldman and um, Alexander McGillivray, we came up with, um, you know, the, the three pillars are number one, we wanted to really create a sense of community for the trust and safety professionals who do this work. I think in the past, the, the group has kind of been dispersed or sort of siloed. There's a lot of informal connections, but no formal space where people could really come together. So similar to how, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, there was uh, no collective space for privacy professionals. And then the IAPP was born. I think this is our moment for, for trust and safety professionals to kind of um, come together. So that was kind of priority number one. Um, and then there are sort of these two other areas that we hope to dive into. Um, the first of the two would be training um, and uh, resources for folks who are wanting to get deeper into the domain expertise of trust and safety. So an example of this would be, um, you know, trying to know the ins and outs of um, Section 230, not from a legal perspective. Right. I know there's a lot of conversation about that <laughs> happening everywhere. Um, but um, understanding Section 230 from the from the perspective of trust uh, trust and safety professional or a reviewer, um, for example. Um, I think another example of this would be knowing how the conversation around content moderation has changed over the past few years. Um, and looking back and seeing Gamergate as sort of this inflection point mm. for how we, you know, as a, as a community sort of view content online. I think that, you know, stuff like that is really interesting um, and important context for anyone who's hoping to do, um, you know, a, a, particularly a content review uh, role. And then I would add to that and say that um, for us, trust and safety isn't just about content review, even though it's very much in the um, kind of uh, forefront of conversation right now. Trust and safety is a very broad uh, kind of field that also includes um, the folks who do a lot of forensics on accounts to identify really, really bad accounts or um, look out for payment fraud or spam. So we've, we've opted to take a pretty inclusive view of what trust and safety is beyond content review itself. So in relation to that, there's a bunch of different resources that we hope to put out as a trust and safety professional association that will really support um, folks who are navigating challenges really specific to the trust and safety profession. So I mentioned content review earlier. There's a lot of conversation about wellness um, mm -hmm. and um, PTSD, right? Uh, I think the association could be a really good place where we start to develop um, best practices around that and help guide the folks um, who are at the front lines um, in thinking about how they could construct a really meaningful uh, wellness program. Um, another thing that, you know, we could do is support uh, managers of these teams to understand what's the playbook for when someone on your team might get doxxed as a result of the really difficult work that they do. Um, how do you step in and make sure that your folks feel psychologically and physically safe? Um, so those are just kind of examples of, of things that we hope to do as an association. Great. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot there. But before we dig in, um, Clara, do you want to talk about the um, the foundation side? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we're also in parallel to the Trust and Safety Professional Association launching a uh, sibling uh, foundation called the Trust and Safety Foundation Project. And the goal of the foundation um, really is to help society understand, uh, better understand uh, trust and safety. Um, Adeline mentioned the professionals that do the day-to-day work. Today, there's a lot of people that work perpendicular to this, whether this uh, includes um, media who might cover these issues. This might include policymakers uh, that might be making decisions. Um, this might include uh, academics uh, and um and people who are studying this this topic, but it may or may not be their day to day. But we have found that it is really hard to uh, help uh, uplift the trust and safety professional field um, without uh, improved understanding of it. And um, you've mentioned this earlier. You know, in Washington, there's a lot of people that that um, think you know behind the scenes decisions are made by CEOs or by uh, <laughs> by bots, right? If, right? if there's a lot of manual review. Um, and we're here to really, you know, um, the foundation arm is really there to um, not only educate the public, um, better on operational practices. Um, one example is the last few years, there's been more and more companies that publish annual transparency reports. And some of that has been pressure, but others have been just more organically, they wanted to share that information out. Um, and so we're, we're really um, there to really uh, improve upon um how the outside kind of sees in on the profession. And mm-hmm. um, we're thinking about everything um, from um, funding um, research um, and interesting case studies like like the one that we're doing with you. Um, we have a podcast actually as well called Flagged for Review that just launched. Uh, it has a trust and safety veteran, Alex Spears, who used to be the, the head of um, trust and safety and general counsel at Medium. Um, who is uh, heading that. And through that podcast series, we're interviewing um, veterans of, of trust and safety, those that were employee number one of a trust and safety team of all the major companies you can imagine and what that experience was like in the early days. Um, and and so, um, and then we're also, um, we have a robust resource library that we're building um, to really start organizing a lot of, uh, a lot of documents that um, people have shared that have been helpful in this space. So. Uh, those are just a few um, initial small projects, but uh, over time, we really do hope that um, we can we can be a place where, um, if media has questions about you know trust and safety issues, um, we're we're definitely a good place to to start there, um, to help help them understand um, how operationally uh, what processes might work for companies. Um, Adeline also mentioned um, before that. You know, there's a there's a variety of people that do trust and safety work, and a lot of times, especially in political conversations, these get muddled up um, from people who do monetize content operations that might be you know reviewing advertising advertisements on platforms um, to people that are processing legal requests, and um, a lot of um, a lot of mixed understanding of of the professional field and and who does the work. So um, we're hope we're, we're we're hoping that we can really play a pivotal role there. Um, a little bit about. Um, my background as well. Um, I spent a lot of time in U.S. government bringing different stakeholders together. And so the work of the foundation is really critical because there is so much, um, so many groups that often don't feel like they have a voice at the table when it comes to these issues. It might be human rights groups. It might be um, think tanks that are trying to bring issues to attention. So um, we also hope that 
through partnerships on the foundation side, we can really um, build upon fruitful research analysis um, and also conversations uh, with the rest of the community. So great. Yeah, I think that's that's very good. And and since people, assuming you're listening to this, like to listen to podcasts, I definitely recommend uh, the podcast. Uh, if you're a regular Tech Dirt listener, you've heard Alex Fierst on the podcast. We had him on to actually uh, interview us when we did a podcast about the founding of Tech Dirt. And he uh, has been such a long-term reader of TechTurt, and he's such a great interviewer uh, that we needed an outside voice to to interview uh, the the original founders of TechTurt, and he was the one we chose because he he's so good at it. And uh, I can say, as good as he was in that, which was was stepping into an odd role, uh, he is such a, a a thoughtful presence on trust and safety questions, um, and he. You know, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, that a lot of the trust and safety professionals sort of have networked informally. And he's been certainly a force in that process, just getting together uh, a lot of trust and safety people just to share stories and ideas and thoughts. And so um, I'm really looking forward to, to that podcast as well. So for folks who are listening to this and like podcasts, you should check that out as well. Um, so one of the things I wanted to jump in, and, and both of you have mentioned this in, in your discussions about the organizations, is that, you know, this definition of trust and safety is, you know, it is broader than just content moderation. And I think everyone kind of focuses very specifically on the the content moderation piece, and that's certainly getting all of the attention right now. But I think it is important to think through, like trust and safety does cover a lot more than that. So um, do, does one of you want to talk about a little bit more, like how do you define trust and safety with regards to, to these organizations? Yeah, um, I'm happy to start and then Adeline, feel free to jump in. Um, so our definition for trust and safety uh, professionals are people that help determine acceptable um, content or behavior on platforms. And sometimes this might be um, those that weigh in on uh, major um, policy product decisions. Um, and um, we, we, we feel like um, we really wanted, um, when we launched um, just last week, we really wanted a diverse set of founding corporate supporters, companies who really believed in something like this is existing to back our launch. Um, so we have anywhere from Cloudflare, which most people can't, you know, might not imagine um, why they would be on our list. Um, we have to deal with a lot of content requests um, mm -hmm. themselves as a layer, um, all the way to companies like Airbnb, who also have to think about physical safety of their users, especially in a time of COVID. Um, we also um, have Postmates, you know, who does food delivery, right? So our mm -hmm. definition of trust and safety professionals and as companies are thinking about trust and safety teams, um, it's definitely very expansive and um, you know, we're we're really here to ensure that there's a place if people feel like they do this type of work, even if their title doesn't reflect it, um, that um, it can be better defined for them. Because um, what we found in, you know, our one to one conversations with professionals over the last year and also uh, firsthand experience um, is you know, for someone who enters the profession, for them to even know what kind of salary to ask for um, mm -hmm. is, is a question mark, right? And that becomes a huge issue when um, sometimes a lot of employees are underpaid for their work, especially when they're spending hours of um, 
of their time reviewing uh, sometimes very, very graphic content. Um, so we're hoping that we can really um, create a little bit more structure to that and also allow for upward career progression, right? So if, um, if um, someone new um, to trust and safety enters it, wants to learn about law enforcement requests, that there is training for that so that they can also grow into different dimensions of um, budding trust and safety roles um, that today we're, we're also um, working with the rest of our, our membership community to, to hopefully uh, better define. Um, Adeline, do you wanna weigh in from your side on this? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, the question around defining trust and safety, I think, um, there are many different ways to kind of slice and dice it. I think Clara and I ran into some issues in the very beginning when we were trying to figure out what to call the organization. And then we, of course, landed on the most literal um, organizational <laughs> name ever. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of interaction that these teams have behind the scenes. Um, you know, so, so the content review team has a lot of interaction with the policy teams that create the policies or the rules for what should be accepted or not accepted in the first place. There's also a lot of, um, you know, I hate to use the term because it sounds very jargony, but there's cross-pollination with other teams mm -hmm. like spam um, or payment fraud because they're, you know, abuse is very um, interconnected. So um, as you start to get deeper and deeper into the forensics of each account or the behavior of certain clusters of users, I think you know, um, trust and safety isn't just about what the end user might be able to see on the platform. It's really about all these other interconnecting things um, that could be happening behind the scenes as well. And so for the Trust and Safety Professional Association, it was really important to us that we had this expanded view so that we could include all of these different components um, because they are so related and there's so much that different folks can learn from each other when we're all in one place. I think it's also important to note that, you know, um, we're kind of focused on um, the operational folks um, right at the outset. Um, there's a lot of room for discussion about trust and safety and product development, for example, or it mainstreamed into the engineering um, kind of cycle um, or talking about, you know, ethics and, and machine learning, all of those things. But our primary uh, constituents to start would be the individuals who are doing the content review or who are investigating accounts and making sure that they're keeping users safe. Um, so, you know, the reason for the expanded view is sort of the um, trying to A, communicate to other people that it's not just about content review. There's a lot of other stuff that's tied up in making sure that abuse doesn't happen on these different platforms. And then B, making sure that there's enough conversation between all of these teams, because the more ideas that you can share with each other, the better your practice could be. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find interesting about the space is, you know, as it's developed across different companies and, and sort of developed organically is that it, it often, you know, comes up from different parts of the organization. And, you know, you sort of mentioned a little bit of the cross-pollinization, but, you know, there if you even just look at kind of org chart questions like where does trust and safety sit right you know is it is it under the legal is it under policy is it you know in in some rare cases you know part of the engineering or operations side like you know in, in some cases it's considered like a customer service function and it's like a, a little bit of each in some cases and and sort of across the board um and so that's one of the things that i i think is kind of interesting um to to think about and that i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand um, 
And so actually that takes me into my next question, which is, you know, one of the things that I've found when I talk to people about trust and safety is, you know, if they're not familiar with the space, um, they're often a little confused about what it, what it means and, and has, uh, you know, or, or they have, um, you know, misconceptions about it. And so, um, you know, what do you think are, are kind of like the things that people most frequently misunderstand about trust and safety and, and what it is that those teams and professionals do? I can start. Um, I think one of the biggest myths that we're hoping to overcome with the association is that, you know, trust and safety is just a, a bunch of really underpaid folks in the global south working in a terrible basement um, and, you know, reviewing content day in, day out. While there is a component of that that is, that is true, and I think there have been some reporters who have shone, shone a light on the working conditions of, of content moderators who do this at scale, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's a very, very important conversation to have, and, and we need to be talking about the working conditions of these folks. There is, um, I think, the attention to that sort of, um, you know, um, kind of bypasses some of the other um, issues um, in trust and safety or the, the conditions in trust and safety, which is this is an actual career for some people. This is an actual profession. People have been doing this for, for decades, right? Ever since the first online communities popped up, there's been a need for um, moderating those communities right. because lots of people have opinions and sometimes those opinions can be really harmful or hurtful to other people. Um, communities have had to decide for themselves what's acceptable and, or not. Um, and so there are people who have been doing trust and safety for years and years and made really um, kind of powerful careers out of them. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we hope to do with the, with the trust and safety um, professional association is help to um, showcase that you can have a long-term career in this. And there are certain people who have spent a long time in trust and safety, um, and you can use them as an imprint for how you want to design your long-term career. Yeah, I think I think that's that is a good point. You know, one of the things that I I've seen sort of the biggest misconception that I've come across is is this idea that it's like a bunch of speech police <laughs> is like the phrase that that I hear all all the time and that, you know, that that you know, there's no need for them and that all they're doing is just sitting there being sort of, you know, awful uh like, you know, uh prude, whatever, like just trying to, to, to silence things. And, and it, it takes a lot to get people to understand. And, and, and I think even like, even people who are, are starting companies, um, where they're going to be hosting third party speech don't necessarily realize it. And, and, you know, I, I've told this story a few times, but not in a while where it's like, even, you know, I run a, a relatively small site in, in tech dirt that has user comments and, you know, our original position was, you know, whatever, we're not, we're not there to, to review any of the comments or do any moderation. Um, and the first time, you know, I, I suddenly had to start to think through these issues was when someone came on the comments and, and was literally threatening to kill someone. Uh, and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not cool. How, 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 how do I feel about this? And, and, and what do I do? And, and, you know, and then the more you begin to think about things, the more you, you begin to realize, like, it's not, you know, it's not about policing speech. It's about, you know, you're, you're setting up a platform or a community or whatever it is, the kind of site that, that you want. And, and you, 
it, it doesn't work if you have no rules at all, right? You have to have some some sort of functional setup of rules. And the, the other example, and you you mentioned earlier that, you know, like fighting spam is, you know, somewhat related to the trust and safety function. And, and I think it's a perfect example. I think it's, it is a trust and safety function. And if you start to consider, well, how do you deal with spam? If you, if you say, we're going to post everything, you're going to get filled up with spam and then nobody wants that. And so like, I have these conversations all the time where I ask people like, well, are you okay with, with moderating spam? And, uh, and, and then people are like, well, of course. And it's like, okay, so you're okay with some content moderation. Right? <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> so now let's dig in and like figure out, you know, where, you know, where, where those lines are. Um, but it is, it is this weird thing where it's like until people are sort of forced to confront the ideas themselves and think through, they, they, people just have this like, well, a lot of people, and maybe it's just the people that I talk to, but they have this <laughs> this kind of innate reaction. They're like, no, 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 you shouldn't do anything. And, and so anyone getting in the way of like mm -hmm. me being able to say what I want must be, you know, must be bad. Um, but they, they do this really important role of making these platforms usable. Uh, and I, I think that's really important for people to understand. I think yeah. there's also a very American perspective <laughs> um, there <laughs> around... Yes you being able to say whatever you want. Um, and that's not the case in other countries. And we, we're seeing that through regulation um, and how that impacts, you know, how the platforms need to perform, um, you know, in, or how they need to exist in, in those countries. Um, so it, it's just interesting because I don't, I'm not sure if the international perspective always maps up with this very American mentality of like, well, I should be able to say whatever I want with no consequences. Um, so that's just an interesting kind of sidebar. Yeah, and um, one of the most interesting um, comparisons I, I think is also um, that, that hasn't been mentioned as much is the is the trade off between um, is the trade off between privacy and moderation. There's obviously a lot of regulation around privacy today, but the more privacy most companies have, sometimes it makes it so much harder to properly moderate content um, and you know around maybe moderating threat intelligence and foreign influence operations the one key thing that a lot of companies have to determine is if information is coming from certain countries so um, I, I think that's another key important part of um, something that that a lot of people don't really think about when they when they think of content moderation and the day-to-day -day rules of a lot of these professionals being really black and white and simple yeah, I, I think I think that's important too. sort of the 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 cybersecurity side of it. And then also like, you know, as we've seen more and more where there's like, you know, nation state level attacks and, and trolling and all of these other things all come into the the trust and safety process um, and need to be thought about. And, you know, the idea that 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 is not an important and sort of central role. Um, you know, and I, and I think that admittedly, like there are some companies that don't think it's, a, it's, and you know, it's a really important role, but I think more and more of them are recognizing that it is. And I think that's, that's part of the reason why I think it's, it's great what you guys are putting together with these organizations is it's, it's part of the, the recognition of, of, you know, of this role and how important it is and how central it is to, to many companies and making sure that their operations work well. Um, you know, I, and I, I mentioned earlier that it's, there's, you know, some relationship sometimes to sort of customer service. And I think of it in a similar way in, in that, you know, a lot of companies historically treated customer service as sort of like this, 
you know, this part of the organization that didn't want to deal with this much. And like more and more companies have recognized like how central it is. Like that is the touch point with the customer generally. Um, and I think that we're going to see more and more of that in the trust and safety space too, that like designing, you know, designing features, designing products to actually take into, into account, you know, the, the trust and safety viewpoint and making sure that, that it is central to how these, these internet platforms operate, I think is going to become more and more important. And so, you know, having an organization like this, that can, that can help with that process, I think is going to be really, really important. And just to have like, uh, a kind of, um, you know, more universal knowledge rather than just the knowledge that's baked into each company and how they've developed their own trust and safety practices, uh, as they've grown is, is, you know, is, is definitely a good thing. Yeah. I think, um, um, the, um, sorry, Claire, I like, cut you off. <laughs> go ahead. No, Claire. No, go ahead. no, I, to your customer service note, you know, one of the things that we've heard is, even today, a lot of people still view trust and safety teams as a cost center to most companies when they're looking at their budget lines, not necessarily as a value center. And, you know, like Adeline and I, Adeline mentioned earlier, trust and safety employees bring so much back to companies in in value of their experience on any platform. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really hoping that, you know, at some point in time, this professional field of professionals can really be seen as, you know, the value centers to companies the same way, you know, today people don't blink, a, blink an eye when they invest in cybersecurity infrastructure. They understand how much that is important to invest in. But for most people, trust and safety teams have been band-aid solutions to, to things that go bad very wrong. And um, they haven't necessarily had that investment and respect. And so um, we really hope that over time we can really also uplift that perception for executives at companies. I think it used to be, you know, back in back in the early days, sort of you would you would create this great product and you wouldn't think about all the awful things that could happen on your product <laughs> because you're so focused on we're going right. to change the world, you know, it's very um you know, idealistic sort of approach. And then the first moment you get a bad thing happening, <laughs> you know, you say, oh, we got to put someone on this. And that's how I think a lot of these departments, you know, organically came up as a separate function rather than, um, you know, thinking through, okay, like how do we mainstream these concepts of abuse mitigation within the product and engineering teams? Um, so, you know, over time, the sort of structure continues to to replicate at different companies. I think the conversation is changing. I think there's a lot more, you know, because of the reporting and like the scrutiny that that's coming into play right now. I think in the last five years or so, there are a lot more uh, folks who are building products who are asking themselves right at the outset, mm -hmm. what can I do to make sure that I'm making, you know, just like how people shifted from making privacy, you know, um, words on a page to being more right. of an experience. I think we're going through the same thing with trust and safety. How can we go beyond just the, you know, the code of conduct or community guidelines or whatever you call it and really make safety um, a priority in the user experience. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, but I also think that companies need to be really listening to the trust and safety professionals who have been doing this for a while to really understand how to, you know, make that mainstream that into a part of the product development cycle. Yeah, I think I think that's a really great point and a really good way of framing it and thinking about it. Um, related to all this, I, I mean, I think that one of the um, 
the other things that that I think it would be nice for more people to understand and to to learn about, and that that hopefully you know with with these two organizations, people will begin to get a better sense of it, is that the the people who are in these roles and are taking on these you know positions and 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 responsibilities you know, really do think deeply about these issues. You know, it's another one of these things where a lot of people who don't have the experience jump in and assume that these are very easy decisions. And when they see a decision that they dislike, <laughs> they they assume, you know, nefarious motives <laughs> uh, right. and, and, and other sorts of malfeasance. Um, <laughs> and, and yet, you know, when you dig in, there's there's a logic behind all of these decisions and yes you know every one of them has has trade-offs and you can disagree with how people come out on the trade-offs but to assume that it was done for for you know nefarious or you know biased reasons or whatever it might be is you know i i that's the that's one of the most frustrating parts of <laughs> of this discussion to me is how often we hear that like how could they have made that decision well you know it's actually pretty logical if you walk through it you can disagree with how they came out on it but it wasn't like people didn't think through these these decisions which is why the case studies project that they're work that we're working on um, together with you is so important, right? In in order to kind of show people there are all these really complicated questions that trust and safety professionals are juggling every time they have to make a decision. Um, and there's sort of no right answer and answers change over time as we yeah. gather more information. Um, but it is a really hard job. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like thinking back to some experiences that I've had where, you know, even people internally at some of the companies that I've worked at um, have pinged me in and asked like, well, did you consider X, Y, and Z? <laughs> and the answer is yes. <laughs> and I can tell you, you know, we made that consideration and this was, this was how, you know, we arrived at the decision. And usually the answer from, from the other side is like, oh, okay. Like I see how this is really challenging. So we don't do, we don't do enough of that transparency as a field um, yeah. to show how complicated um, the trade-offs can be. Um, and I'm just also giggling kind of to myself because I remember working on a policy um, previously and um, I was called out in the press for being a pearl clutcher um, for, <laughs> for coming out, you know, on a certain decision that I had. Um, and it was just very amusing to me. Um, but, you know, when you're when you're actually sitting in the company, it's, it's kind of challenging for the companies themselves to explain all the ins and outs of how they came to a decision um, because, you know, yeah. You're always going to find someone, I think, who will critique that. Um, and critique is good, but, you know, sometimes it's it's easy to, to become defensive. Um, and so one of the things that the Trust and Safety Professional Association and the Trust and Safety Foundation Project can do is kind of um, demonstrate how complicated these decisions are without necessarily having to, um, you know, um, put anyone in, in the hot seat because we should be having you know, intelligent, meaningful conversations about how complicated the work is, how difficult it is, um, and all the kind of different um, decision points, right, that people have to go through in order to come out to, you know, people have to have a resolution at the end of the day. Right. Um, and we're all chasing that resolution because this is a, you know, you have to keep the ball rolling and you can't have this um, sort or, you know, you can't have this indefinite kind of lack of decision. <laughs> um, so anyway, which is, which is all a very long-winded way of saying what I really like about the um, case studies that we're working with you on is that we're able to 
um, show to a broader audience um, how decisions get made and the sort of questions that trust and safety professionals ask themselves every time there's a, you know, a challenging edge case um, or, you know, an escalation. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and we're excited to be working on those as well for, for basically the same reason. Um, and if you haven't seen them, the uh, Trust and Safety Foundation website is hosting the case studies. We'll eventually be posting them to TechDirt too. Um, but if you want to get a sneak peek on them, you can check them out at the Trust and Safety Foundation website. And we're going to continue to build out that library for, for a while uh, because there seem to be more and more case studies that, that happen all of the time. Um, you know, one of the uh, um, the the things that's the uh, sort of within this realm of it being difficult or uh, you know impossible to to figure these things out um, that I do recommend. Again, I'm sort of recommending all these other podcasts on this podcast, but uh, the show Radio Lab did they did two years ago. They did a whole episode about Facebook's um, content. Uh, content policy team and, and decision-making process that I thought was really, really good. And they just re-released it with a slight update at the end um, relevant to, to more recent happenings and things like the the uh, Trump executive order and attacks on Section 230. But I actually, one of the things I really liked about that episode is that it walks you through that thought process in a very, you know, clever way. Radiolab is very good at that, where they sort of walk you down this road of saying, like, here's the decision that was made and showing how it makes sense and then throwing you a curveball <laughs> and saying, like, oh, wait, you know, wait, that's not going to work in this case. Uh, so we have to, you know, change our policy and make a different decision. And then they walk you down this path and they throw you another curveball and you suddenly realize, like, that's kind of what trust and safety professionals have to do all the time is recognize all of these different cases and, and understand where it comes from. And so, like, I point people to listen to that all the time. But, you know, not everybody does. So, so the more information that's out there and the more ways that people can begin to recognize how challenging all of this is um, and that, that the people who are involved are, you know, are very thoughtful about this. And, and you know, it's like I, I, you know, I'm not a trust and safety professional. And yet, like I, I find you know, I'm out there all the time trying to sort of defend the profession uh, <laughs> and get people to recognize, you know, how much thought and, and, um, you know, uh, just, just, you know, consideration that people put into these decisions, uh, and the assumptions that people make about it's, you know, the sort of like off the cuff thing, uh, is, is not accurate at all. So I'm, I'm excited that, that you guys are, you know, hopefully we'll begin to educate the world. <laughs> As a as a trust and safety professional, I salute you and thank you for your service in <laughs> supporting the trust and safety profession. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know, as the as the online um, ish, as the online as online communities and issues get even thornier ahead, you know, there's always room for new training and improvement, which is where, you know, we're hoping we can really continue to build off of making resources, training, everything much easier for professionals to, um, to continue to build their knowledge base. So. Great. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to ask, I mean, I know you just launched, but you know, like what, what, what else is next? What else is coming up? Um, you know, is there anything beyond that or is it just, you know, right. I, or am I putting too much on you? You're like, we just, we just lost. <laughs> Don't ask what's next yet. We're still getting through this. <laughs> um, um, you know, we can, 
I think Adelaide can share a couple. Uh, we, we can both share a couple of, um, of things that we're cooking up. Um, one, one particular program we're developing is a trust and safety boot camp, um, which is, you know, just to uh, help professionals from all backgrounds. Uh, sometimes people come from different parts of a company and enter into a trust and safety role. Um, to be able to learn the basics of, you know, uh, what Section 230 is, what is SESTA-FOSTA. So that's something that we're going to continue to build out um, over the next um, 18 months um, and start piloting with, with a couple of members to figure out um, what that initial boot camp training looks like. Um, if you go ahead and look up any kind of um, trust and safety job description um, any company is hiring for, you'll notice that sometimes the requirements are quite murky or, or, or mm -hmm. vague. Um, and that that comes from the the recognition that it's really hard to to find people and verify they know trust and safety <laughs> today. And so, yeah. you know, something like that is a really good one on one training um, for anyone to to kind of get their um, their knee deep into basic concepts. Um, Adelaide, any any other programs we can share? <laughs> So I will flag that because we are members focused and the professionals themselves are um, are really important to us um, and we want to make sure that we are serving their needs. Um, we'll probably be doing a bunch of um, community calls um, just to get a sense of what um, the community feels we need to prioritize. Mm -hmm. So that's really important to us. Um, and another thing that I want to call out is that we were very um, fortunate to get um, a a contribution from the Omidyar network. And so through that, we're able to onboard an additional set of um, uh, companies um, to bring to bring to the organization and get their employees um, onboarded as members of the association. Um, but what's really exciting about that is that we'll be able to um, onboard companies that otherwise wouldn't have had um, the right. available funding and budget to come on board. So one of the goals that we have is to make the, the community as broad as possible um, and, you know, um, kind of asking larger companies to kind of pay it forward for the smaller companies, um, which our founding corporate supporters have done very, very generously. But just being able to expand the, the concept of, um, you know, the, the understanding of the concept of trust and safety is really important. So hopefully we'll be able to bring on some smaller um, groups that, you know, otherwise wouldn't have had the ability to participate. So inclusion is really important to us. Um, and I know that, that there's a lot of buzzwords around, around inclusion today, but uh, we're really working hard on that. Um, and we we want to make it possible for even smaller voices to join the, you know, um, join the conversation, even though right now from the outside, it looks like the conversation is very much dominated by certain um, companies. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's actually really important. And one of the, the more annoying parts of, of many of these conversations is the idea that, like, it, it only uh, covers, you know, Google, Facebook, YouTube, yeah. Twitter, whatever, uh, and mm -hmm. and the smaller voices don't matter, uh, or that it's they're outside of the scope of all of this, and I think that's really frustrating. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. obviously a lot of these questions are super important. I mean, you know, even I said like as a tiny site, you know, we sort of came across and we still deal with. We were actually just just discussing the yesterday uh, as we were recording this. We were discussing how we're adjusting our own comment uh, spam filter and how that's going to work. And and so it's, it's the same discussion over and over again, but in different formats and having, you know, smaller sites and smaller companies involved, I think is, is really important um, because there are different issues at, at different stages of scale as well. And it's often um, the smaller, smallest companies. So for example, with terrorist content online, 
um, there was a file sharing site a few years ago called Just Paste It. It was run by mm -hmm. one person. You know, it's always the smallest platforms that get the most um, attacks or hits by bad actors who try to take advantage of the lack of moderation to, yeah. ha to house um, to house really bad content. So Just Paste It had a bunch of ISIS propaganda that was housed on their platform, and they had no idea even where to start, nor the bandwidth or um, ability to to figure out how to respond. So. Um, we're really hoping that, you know, that with smaller platforms and smaller companies, um, without the resources, we can at least help upskill um, people on right. their team to to be able to think about this, even if it's a part time function or be able to refer them to third parties. If there's tools or resources that could be more immediately helpful, um, we can at least give them that first place they can go to uh, to to look for more resources. Um, yeah. And I think that that's important. Do, do you? Um, I mean, we've mentioned sort of obliquely a few times throughout this call uh, the, you know, not just having the U.S. perspective. Is is the organization itself mostly U.S. focused, or are you looking for international uh, members as well? Or what's what's the status on that? Um, out of our initial uh, set of. Uh, corporate supporters. Um, most of them are U.S. based, but um, you know, in, in some of the large companies, we're definitely including all of their global teams as well. Um, mm -hmm. But like like we've mentioned, TSPA is a membership organization. We when we open up membership, we we can have you know we're looking to have anybody be able to to join if they consider themselves a trust and safety professional. Um, we're starting off um, mostly English speaking, um, just because most of our initial members are. Are here in the U.S., but that's not to limit um, where we are geographically on uh, the professionals that we serve, and we we recognize and, and know that you know there's a lot more organizations and, and companies that we want to work with um, in Europe and and everywhere else. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, it it just occurred to me, you know, because it it is that it, it is one of the challenges that people have uh, is is recognizing the international aspect of it. Um, and, and how do you handle it? even just like the legal requests, let alone, you know, non-legal requests, it becomes more and more challenging. Um, the, the, uh, international nature of the internet and the, for the most part, lack of borders online creates, creates a whole other set of issues for trust and safety folks. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, um, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time uh, and, and, and you know, well, for launching the, these organizations and putting all this together. I know that, that both of you have been working really, really hard. Uh, we've had lots of discussions over the last few months as you guys have, have been putting this together. Um, and I'm excited to see that it's it's launched. And I'm really excited to see where where both of these organizations go and, and what they do. Uh, you know, going forward. And so um, thank you for, for doing all of that work uh, and continuing to do that work. And thank you for taking a little bit of time to, to join this podcast and, and, and to talk about it. Thanks so much for having us. Really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's also um, very gratifying to hear that people are excited about the organization and really looking forward to working more with you, Mike. Great. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. This has been such a great, great conversation. Great. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well. Um, and I keep saying this because normally I say we'll be back next week. I think we'll be back next week ever since 
pandemic times, time has changed all meaning. And so we're not on an every week schedule, but we're, I think we're getting close to it. So we will probably be back next week. If not, we should be back soon after with another podcast, but thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back soon. <laughs> Someone will get hurt to grab a shovel and dig up the tech.